Oh, we we started. I'm just looking through threads because I'm obsessed, of course. <laughs> Y'all on threads or no? Seems like no. 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 Oh, you afraid of Mr. Zuckerberg? Take your information. <laughs> Already got it. Got that shit. I don't even post on Twitter. Why would I post on threads or be a creep follow on, on threads? I don't know. Just uh, to be part of the zeitgeist, if nothing else. It's very true. To be able to tell your grandchildren, yeah, I was there. When threads first formed. I mean, I used to be on Twitter in like 2010, 2009, early 2010s. Yeah. But I left for a reason, I think. I think we all probably left for a reason. I didn't. No? Wait, so you were never on Twitter, ever? No, I mean, like, I never left Twitter. Like, why would I leave? Twitter is a cesspool that I love bathing in. Um, I mean, I hear you. I still have it. I don't log on very much and I don't post really just every now mm-hmm. and then when I'm really bored. But I don't know. It seems well, from what I've been reading recently, especially Twitter has been um, going going psycho mode, going not psycho mode, sicko. Oh, yeah. mode. Well, I guess that's a different way of saying it. Twitter's basically going sicko mode on the algorithm, which used to be, I guess, um, you know, just random viral tweets about whatever. Then obviously it was like posting body images like sexual content pretty much that got a lot mm-hmm. of engagement and now what i've been reading um is people are posting like body horror and gore and like violence like literally people getting shot like videos of people getting killed <laughs> are popping up on twitter because the engagement algorithm really self-selects for that i mean obviously people are like oh holy fuck like this is crazy they're gonna watch that shit you know um I've, I mean, I'm just not, beheading videos. Yeah, like yeah, stuff right? like yeah. that, for real. I haven't come across any, but I'm not surprised. But I feel like Twitter's always been like that. But yeah, um, ever since Musk is ownership, um, I think each new day we find a find some hilarious way in which he has absolutely fucked over that platform. I think he never wanted to buy it in the first place. Oh, I agree. He- yeah, then he was like, well, shit, I guess I have to and bought it for a way overinflated price. And now he's like, fuck, what do I do now? Um, yeah. that, that's kind of my read on it. And this this new, what do you call it? Um, only being able to view like 600 posts a day if you're not mm-hmm. a blue check. Like, bro. That rocks. <laughs> that's yeah. good. They should do that for all social media. Like, you can't dream scroll. It just like ends some point yeah it's like the end <laughs> no more internet there is something your good router about has that. to just like reset yeah it's yeah. like all right you've seen enough horror horrors beyond your comprehension for the day <laughs> you gotta go touch grass go outside go you know cook dinner or something there's that's the good Except aspect isn't it because like they're not paying their server bills yes that's actually what it is there w- he tweeted something <laughs> like we're trying out this new thing uh, it's like no dude you didn't pay your bill to google you fucking <laughs> charlatan <laughs> Every time, like Musk instills some new hilarious policy, it's an absolute shit show because it's just capitalist bird brain 101 for him. And it's like, oh my God, you know what? Well, we've changed this to like uh, a fee, uh, you know, to tweet type thing on this platform that used to be free and everyone was engaged. And um, obviously, you had the verification system and all this type of shit. And then Musk is just 
showing you the incompetence of billionaires. And it's also hilarious too. Every time he does something like you have the Musk fanboys that are like, well, it's actually a good thing, but there's always a few that like, <laughs> no, it's really not. I can't believe he, daddy Musk would do this. And it is crazy that how much he's still like all of his, yeah, like base of support. They, like they literally, whatever he does is like genius. It's like a breakthrough in uh brain activity of some kind. Like it's all stupid. The mask is coming off. People are starting to realize, especially with the submersible thing. I think also people are like, maybe these billionaires are fucking stupid. Actually, maybe their hubris <laughs> um, impedes any progress that uh, was ostensible in the first place. Um, maybe they're not these, um, you know, gods that we've. Uh, th this idea of them being, I don't know, transcendent or supernatural uh, human activity. It's like, no, these people are just stupid. They just have a lot of money and they do stupid shit with it. Uh, and that's pretty much it. But they're always going to have their fanboys, of course. But I mean, to your point about, and we'll start the episode after this, to your point about um, everything just becoming subscription based, you know, it's it's what I always say. It's the, it's the neo-feudal turn, which I didn't come up with, of course, but that's what that's how it materializes, I suppose. Like it used to be this ad-based platform, all of them, like look at Facebook, for example, what 98 or 99% of their revenue is just ad-based based on advertisements. And, you know, you're getting to a point where now perhaps that revenue is not um, what it used to be or the rate of profit is falling. Of course, that's always a consideration. And now these new ways of uh, extracting rents from people uh, have have come into the fore, and it's this is in every aspect. It's not just social media. You see it with like Twitter Blue and uh, other social. I think Reddit, their API changes or something. Basically, they're trying to get people to pay for their service too. Obviously, all of the subscription based television is this exact same thing. It's a, the extraction of rents, basically paying somebody to access something right i mean that's kind of what rent is uh in the last instance it's paying somebody for access to something and that's what all of these tech companies are are doing now it's if we're not getting the ad revenue we want or for whatever reason we're not maintaining the profit we were before we have to find other ways to extract uh from our consumers or producers of the content uh when it comes to uh, social media which we also love how like it's a uh perfect encapsulation of the capitalist ecosystem because every time there's like a fuck up with this uh, particular platform you see everyone you know gravitating away to the newest iteration which is very similar to that platform but slightly different where it's like oh i'm on blue sky like send me an invite code or mm -hmm. oh like instagram is now doing threads which is like twitter except without the nudity so why does anyone want to be there yeah, like, so what's you know, the fucking point no exactly <laughs> No, it is. It's a, such a Twitter clone um, without a lot of the nice things that I remember from Twitter. Yeah. From like 10 years ago, like it's it's a really stripped down. Um, I will say it's a little different in terms of like um, what you see on there. It seems to be a little more positive than Twitter. I think people are trying to make that um, be explicit like this isn't we're done with a toxic energy of uh, Twitter, you know, we're, we're moving on to new forms of communication and which is like horseshit. It's not going to last. Um, Everything paints itself as communication. Yeah. yeah. Everything yeah. will paint itself as the chicken soup for the soul for a, <laughs> a fucking, you know, new medium of the moment. But 
It's just what the people yearn for. They mm -hmm. yearn for community and positive engagement, and all they get is... And slowly will morph into the disgusting monsters that we are, which crave like toe like pics and, you know, all that other nasty shit that people want on Twitter. Now is the time of monsters. Mm hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll start the episode on that happy note. Uh, welcome back to Eminem. We are, I don't know, recording on a decent schedule, which is very interesting. Uh, we might actually get out an episode per month, which we haven't done in a while. Um, very exciting. And it. I know. Um, <laughs> very excited for you all to join us. I guess we can just do a quick pivot um, from what we were talking about, which you know, billionaires, capital, always in the background of whatever we're talking about, sometimes in the forefront. Um, but how am I going to transition this from idiot billionaires like Musk to what we're going to be talking about today, which is student loan forgiveness, which we've kind of talked about in a prior episode, you know, the um, Biden plan or lack of a plan, let's say, in uh, forgiving at least some student loans for some people in some areas, in some instances, in some ways. Uh, for, of course, this is not across the board student loan relief, in which is, I think now what, in the high trillion range? I, I want to say it's like one and a half to two trillion accounts for all student loan debt. Um, but anyways, you know, we talked about this. Biden had some quote unquote plan uh, to relieve some people of this. Didn't really pan out. And as you all have heard in the news recently, Supreme Court uh, basically stiff-armed this entire plot. Um, there's some talk about it going on to the Department of Education. Biden basically has the backup plan, which why didn't he just do that in the first place, which seems like that would have worked better to start that way. But, you know, I'm not a Democrat. I don't have um, a destroyed uh, brain and mental process like many of these Democrats do, or they're just outright uh, cynical actors, uh, which is more likely within the Democratic Party machine, which Biden is firmly entrenched in, of course. Um, but that's what we're going to kind of go through today, this recent decision, among other decisions, of course, uh, relating to affirmative action and um, the um, basically the ability for businesses to discriminate against gay people. Uh, we're not going to talk in depth about those, but you all know the context of these recent Supreme Court hearings. Um, I want to start out by saying, let's let's not fuck around here. Let's not shit ourselves. Let's just be open and honest uh, about the stance that Eminem takes on the Supreme Court, which is, I don't think I need to even consult with you both, but I'll just say it, abolish the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is maybe the most undemocratic institution in the entire world. Uh, the only one I would say perhaps is more undemocratic is the U.S. Senate which is hilarious because these make up this tripartite hydra of uh, oppression and exploitation, right? Um, so we got two out of three. We're doing pretty good out here in North America, um, in the West of North America, doing pretty good. Um, two of the most undemocratic institutions in the world. We're, we're rocking out here. Let it rip. 
Um, but we're going to kind of focus, I think, on the student debt aspect. I think this is probably most near and dear to our listeners. Uh, and in general, most uh, people who are who are um, going after higher education have to deal with this kind of thing. Um, let's turn it over to Sigmund. Uh, where do you want to start kind of with this discussion? Um, let's do a little recap of the Biden plan because yes. this is really the part two to our Biden bucks. Um, and <laughs> we should remember how stupid this plan is and like how bad it was to begin with. Yes. Um, and how useless it is for so many people. So this would have been canceling $10,000 in student loans per borrower for people earning less than $125,000 or for a household, $250,000. Um, and then if you have a Pell Grant, which is for, you know, people who need additional financial aid, that would have been a maximum of $20,000. And so if you're an average medical school uh, graduate, you have an average of $250,000 in debt as of 2023. So a quarter of a million dollars. So you could have maybe gotten $10,000. A cool quarter. I mean, 10 in the face of 250, I, I don't know. You know, I'm not a mathematician, but you know, that that's something. Right? It's not nothing. It's not, not nothing, nothing, but it's close to nothing, it, but it's not nothing. <laughs> it's you know, at most like less than 10 percent. Yeah. And then but for the average borrower who went to the average public school and only have undergraduate loans. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that dog behind me. <laughs> There's some, yeah, he's also mad. Uh, the average borrower has $38,000 in loans. So even for someone who didn't go to a prohibitively expensive private medical school, this is like a third of your debt, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. And this would have affected 43 million borrowers, which is about one in eight Americans. Half of those could have had their student loans erased completely. I'm guessing a lot of these people are, you know, who went to community college or mm -hmm. have paid down a significant amount of debt, or for a lot of a lot of people like who didn't finish their undergraduate program and still have, you know, tens and thousands of dollars of debt. You like it could have at least made a difference for a good number of millions. It would have been so like woefully inadequate for so so many people, especially like people who go to professional school, graduate school. But it would have done something, not a lot. It's and very so much this in is the, a plan that's been completely nixed. It's very much in the vein of uh, typical uh, Democratic Party politics, which is means testing, right? Mm -hmm. This will only apply to a certain subset of the population, quote unquote, the people that really need it. Uh, and everybody else, I don't know, go fuck yourself. Uh, it's, it's your fault that you went to a more expensive college and, you know, that's that's not really for us to deal with. That's for you to pay off over the rest of your life, basically. Can you imagine being like the family med doctor who makes two hundred, like $126,000 a year and you don't, you make two and your loans were forgiven? That would have been awesome. Which we were talking um, about this briefly. I just want to mention yeah, briefly, we were talking about physician salaries um, and kind of the misconceptions that people have mm -hmm. over like how much money doctors make and too much. <laughs> well, we can just say uh, <laughs> umbrella too much. Um, but I mean, there's I'm not going to go into detail, but there's definitely nuance with this. You can't just paint physicians into this like high earning category. I mean, I guess relative to minimum wage. Sure. Physicians make a lot of money, 
Um, but you know, stratifying that into different specialties, different practice patterns, or even academics or private practice, stratifying it into all kinds of different ways. I mean, when you're starting out your career, I would I would say that it varies wildly from probably as low as like a hundred thousand if you're talking about pediatricians, uh, primary care in general, it's like a lot of psychiatry um, in certain areas. Um, yes, the surgical subspecialties make good money. Yeah, the med internal medicine subspecialties can make decent money. Not all of them. I mean, if you're an endocrinologist, you're probably going to make less than an internist, which kind of doesn't make any sense, but that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, but I, I really want to dispel with this notion that doctors across the board are these high-earning millionaires who you know, are in this upper echelon. It's just not true. And especially when you're considering what Sigmund just said, when the debt burden on average for medical students is two hundred to $250,000. I mean, shit, you're, if you're not in one of these surgical subspecialties, that means you're paying this back over the rest of your life, probably, or at least over the next couple of decades. So just want to quickly dispel with that notion that, yeah, if you're a doctor, you're doing fine. Not always the case. Definitely not always the case. And even though doctors on the on the whole tend to qualify for public student loan for public service loan forgiveness a lot more easily than say like any other profession, like there's still lots of weird and stupid little rules where like your mm -hmm. hospital might be nonprofit, but if you work for the university, then that doesn't count. Or if you work with the physician group which is the only thing that hires most of the hospital's doctors and you might still not qualify. Like it's, it's not always a given that like you're going to get your loans forgiven, right. but anyway, so, it, and even all of these are super means tested. And so there were two different suits. One of them I thought was really funny. was department of education B Brown, which was brought by two individuals who were mad that they didn't qualify for any student loan forgiveness. Um, and so they were suing the government that like you brought on this program to forgive debt that we don't qualify for and we want you to get rid of it. And then the court unanimously ruled that two individuals couldn't challenge the student debt relief plan. It's like, okay, great. And then Biden v. Nebraska is like kind of the main one that everyone's talking about. And this is that multiple states uh, challenge the student debt forgiveness plan. So there was Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, and South Carolina um, that filed a lawsuit saying that it violated the separation of powers and the Administrative Procedures Act. Cool. So if you're an individual, fuck you. But if you're the state, I guess you can sue this federal government. Um, and apparently like the kind of crux of like whether or not these states had standing was that the Missouri Higher Educational Loan Authority, which is apparently the country's like one of the largest servicers and holder of student loan. Um, if this debt relief program went into effect, it would have lost $44 million per year. And in this wonderful pyramid scheme, this would have in turn limited um, the Mohella uh, Missouri Higher Ed Loan Authority to contribute funds to the state's higher education program. <laughs> Which like isn't, but like, doesn't this help people who just graduated from your programs? Not good enough. I love this labyrinth, no. this labyrinth of complexity. <laughs> you know, it just makes total sense to do things this way. And so because there was some sort of, I guess, financial harm that if you 
took away $40 million or if you let off people from paying $10,000 of their entire student loans, then Missouri colleges were just going to go to shit. Revenues will fall and you can help any more college students, which is, quote, a direct injury to Missouri itself. So this case went forth. Is the subtext that like whose whose fault is this? It's not borrowers like the borrowers, the students. These are people who are just playing the rules of the game, basically. Um, what like what do they care if uh, Missouri doesn't get these payments? That you know, if ten thousand dollars is wiped from the rolls of a couple million people, Missouri is going to go and complain now. Well, the bar the borrowers didn't do that. Borrowers are just trying to go to fucking school. They're trying to get an education, help their families, whatever their communities, whatever they're doing. So like, but like Wash U will just burn down to the ground if they don't have that forty-four million dollars. Then that's the you know like then that's the part of the federal government to do something about that. Again, like the burden doesn't fall on the borrowers. The burden falls on the structure, on the state to do something about that and prevent the you know, a, a crisis from occurring from, uh, you know, these lenders not getting uh, their money back with interest, which, you know, obviously this is a cascading, um, uh, a cascade of events that follow if a lender doesn't get their money back because then they can't pay back the people they owe money to and all this. But again, this has nothing to do with the borrower. Uh, there should be something in place from the federal side to prevent the states, the state universities and colleges from collapsing. But nobody's talking about that part. Um, it's again, it's just this, this guilt uh, that's placed on the borrower. And, and that's kind of how the discourse is framed, which is totally inappropriate, of course. And so since Missouri could challenge the federal government on giving people money um they ultimately said no, and for lots of other stupid legal reasons that the federal government did not have the authority to push forward the student debt relief plan. And it's based on like the HEROES Act, which is, I guess, like a 9-11 era um, legislation, but from Roberts, who wrote the majority opinion, HEROES Act gives the Secretary of Education the power to waive or modify laws and regulation governing student loan programs. Congress's use of the word, quote, modify, means that the Biden administration can make modest adjustment in additions to existing programs, not transform them. The student debt relief program, um, this is quoting Roberts, created a novel and fundamentally different loan forgiveness program. So giving people $10,000 off the top, this is a novel and fundamentally different student loan forgiveness program. And this is the best part. Uh, The plan modifies student loan laws and regulations only in the same sense that the French Revolution modified the status of the French nobility. It has abolished them and supplanted them with the new regime entirely. Uh, uh, (laughs) I don't know. This fucking piecemeal program that would have forgiven $10,000 for most people... This is such a drastic modification of the student loans program that like it defies, you know, the law. Unbelievable. And then to quote the French Revolution, like, I'm sorry, but like, (laughs) how does that even make any sense? Literally, what the... uh, We are leaving the loan structures like intact. I'm at a loss for where I'm literally speechless. Like we're comparing 
letting off people from a, maybe a quarter of their debt to a third of their debt to the French Revolution. <laughs> this is like a similar upheaval. I'm sorry, like where then do the structures of capital, where are they altered? Where? How is production altered when we're just relieving debt? How is any are any of these like infrastructural underpinnings of our society altered by just releasing people from literally a quarter to a third of their debt? What the fuck? Like it, it's just I I don't know. I'm I'm completely speechless. It's just uh, it's apples to oranges. Obviously, everyone's like so happy that oh Kagan wrote such a good dissent. Nobody gives a fuck about the dissents. Yeah. Like they non- never matter. Like I don't know why people care about this. They're like, oh, but like is uh, you know Kagan wrote such a good dissent and like this is it's so great. But like why you fucking lost? You lost. You lost. That, that's such a fucking liberal thing to like take these moral hollow victories from just getting yep. absolutely decimated in the structural realms of power to be like, oh, but we held firm to our values and look it's like this West Wing mentality, right? Like they just, it's a masturbatory effect mm-hmm. to getting off to losing, but somehow some celeb and the celeb in this sense are political actors, uh, make the liberal side of American politics save face by standing up and writing a strong dissent, giving a strong speech. When we go, when they go low, we go high, all that bullshit. <laughs> like, Liberals love the dissents, which no one gives a fuck about. And no average American could give a goddamn shit what is said in a dissent. Conservatives don't care on the winning like side either. They just care that a decision is made in favor of their ideological positions at the moment. Exactly. Na- name one dissent. Oh, you like dissent? dissents? Name three of their albums. It's literally like that. You can't <laughs> name a single dissent from the past five years that resonated with you or stuck with you. Like, Try to name one. I can't. Maybe I'm just a loser, an idiot. I can't name a single dissent that even matters over the past five years. This is the same thing. It's exactly what you're saying, Bay. It's this speaking truth to power uh, fantasy or uh, fixation that liberals have. Uh, they they either can't or don't want to actually make change when we're talking about the Democratic Party. But don't worry. Uh, we'll speak truth to power. Uh, we'll do a land acknowledgement. We'll do some kind of... Um, gesture toward uh, our moral superiority and how we're trying to do good for people but these evil republicans just won't let us nobody gives a fuck except for other liberals who are caught up in their own guilt feeling moral uh quandary of of everyday life it's so frustrating uh that we are even talking about this oh the the dissent the kagan dissent sorry who gives a fuck who gives a fuck that's all it is i will say there are the conservative justices, it seems like they write dissents when a ruling is like still upheld. Like, oh, you can't just like behead homeless people on the street because you didn't like looking at them or something. But like, here's one way that if you bring the case forth in the future, we'll reconsider it and yeah. like help you. I don't know, maybe not behead them, but at least like, I don't know, stab them or something. Yeah. Um, bring their blood the at least. Dissent, yeah, not helpful. Like, no. I. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to bring back like student debt relief with this. Um, But basically she said that the state, none of the states have standing. This shouldn't have gone forth. Well, okay. Thanks. Thanks justice Kagan. Um, And her main problem was that 
the majority was picking the statute apart and basically making the HEROES Act completely inconsequential that no Secretary of Education could have ever responded to any large-scale emergency, which, you know, that's fair, whatever. I mean, we're still fucking stuck with it. Yeah. And so this is the fun part. <laughs> like, what does this mean? And everyone's like, and all the Fox News freaks are freaking out because they're like, well, it would have cost about $400 billion over the next 30 years. So this is good. You know, debt is always bad. And the con- the country's finances are exactly like your households and mm-hmm. $400 billion is a lot. And so to contrast that, the PPP loan program costs $790 billion. What? <laughs> really? And, <laughs> yes. And then $750 billion was forgiven. Awesome. Yeah. Good Good for you guys. Oh, don't worry. So $400 billion over 30 years versus $790, of which $750 billion was straight up forgiven. Like and most of it did not go to workers or payroll. I was going to say so much was lost in schemes and all sorts of like shady shit, which is typical. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in the percentage of actual helping small business uh, the PPP forgive, loan forgiveness was versus, I don't know, like um, millions of dollars going to the owners of the Los Angeles Lakers, for example, uh, trying to do, you know, their nefarious uh, business doings. Uh, so, so much of this money went to not small businesses and we're still forgiven. It's just hilarious. Again, it's like, who does the structure serve? You know, it's. It's not workers, never has been. We're not we're not even talking about returning to some nostalgic time of old when workers and or labor and capital had more parity than it never existed ever. The this structure has always served the ruling class, the bourgeoisie, whatever you want to call them, the owners of capital. It's just blatantly on display. That is what the Supreme Court does. And even for the small amount of money that went to like actual small businesses. Like I, I know a number of ones that like got into hot water because they took the money and then just fired everybody or closed anyway. Savvy business. Savvy business. That's it. That's oh, why you get an MBA, awesome. folks. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um and so I want to read the NPR article, but I, I think I dropped the link in the chat. Mm-hmm. And um, the first part is just talking about like, oh, this is so tragic and everyone's disappointed, you know, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. We know that. Um, this is the author saying, look, and, look how good I am. You know, that that first part. Yes, exactly. Oh, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's an NPR our author. Like they might also have some student loans from going to mm-hmm. a, Mm-hmm. liberal arts college and i i don't imagine npr pays a whole lot but um so i just want to start reading from part three so what's going to happen once this actually like comes into effect so borrower will, borrowers will start students have to start paying their loans again it could get ugly so this is tens of millions of borrowers who had hoped to have some or all of their federal student loans erased will be soon to soon asked to resume payment obviously and then this is going to resume on september 1st payments due starting October. Um, there's like some 12 month ramp up program where if you can't make the payment, there's some sort of like grace period. But um, the problem now is most borrowers are out of the habit. And in fact, many have never had to make a student loan payment. 
roughly 7 million student loan borrowers were 24 or younger, which means they were at most 21 or in many cases still in college when the current payment pause began in 2020. To make the matters worse, many older borrowers will now have a new loan servicing company, not to mention that they may have forgotten their online portal passwords. (laughs) Some may not even have their balances in months, if not years. These days are coming to an end. At the greatest risk of falling through the restart cracks are borrowers who are given the chance at so-called, quote, fresh start during the pandemic. For these roughly 7.5 million borrowers who are in default, the department is offering protections from involuntary collections on their account and the chance to regain access to flexible repayment plans. But to benefit and get out of default, these fresh start borrowers must opt into the program and contact their loan servicer. Why? Why is it opt-in? Don't they know who's in default? Like, and they're already pointing out like, hey, like this might be a problem getting your passwords back and like getting on your website again. You have to opt in. Like, Just another hoop to jump through. Just putting the burden (laughs) on the people who have the burden already. Typical shit. And according to the uh, the department, obviously these defaulted borrowers are disproportionately likely to be economically vulnerable, first-generation college students, and there's considerable concern among advocates about the department's ability to communicate these opportunities to borrowers in default and borrowers' willingness to return to repayment after years of default. And that concern stems in part from reporting in January that revealed serious serious funding shortfalls inside FSA, the Education Department Office, tasked with managing the government student's loan portfolio. At the very moment, FSA and its loan servicers will have to navigate an unprecedented flood of borrowers returning to the system. The agency is actually cutting costs and services. Perfect. Good timing. This is just the time to do it when you're restarting payments for millions of people. Let's actually, you know, let's cut costs. Let's get a little leaner here. That'll be better. Can you imagine like when they tried to roll out the Obamacare, like the websites? Oh my but it's God. all for students. Oh, that was a night. I remember people talking about how the website was so buggy and it would crash. And I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is going to be 2.0 probably. Well, this is this is good. I'm I'm happy to see, you know, all these repayments starting for these lazy workers. You know, during the pandemic, these layabouts who are, you know, just sitting around and you know reading poetry and other horrible things like this. Um, it's it's about time that we rev that economy back. It's time to start paying, folks. We live in a society, do we not? It's time to start mm-hmm. paying. What are these poor lenders going to do? Come on, think about the lenders. You assholes. I know. So, don't they so, know there's a new Cold War on China going on? Like, it's a war economy, folks. <laughs> We're Get a war, your shit baby. together. Come on. And so apparently uh, Congress flat-funded FSA this year making it all but impossible to keep up with as many student loan responsibilities. The agency has already delayed an effort promised by the Biden administration to review the loans of millions of borrowers who were unfairly set back by years of mismanagement around income-driven payment plans. Promised in May, uh, that review has been extended into 2024. And that review is a logistical cakewalk compared to the Everest of helping millions of borrowers whose loans have been paused for more than three years navigate to navigate the return to repayment. So, 
And many borrowers' financial situations have changed and their repayment options will need to change as well. Call centers will need more and better trained workers in the anticipation of the months-long onslaught of calls that they'll face from confused and anxious borrowers. What if like you could do like community service? If you do like 40 hours in the call center, no more student debt <laughs> discharged. It's like uh, you can't pay your bill at the restaurant, so you better you better start washing dishes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, this is like working in a call center is like soul draining work. So I feel like that'd be fair. I feel like people in call centers should should their minimum wage should be like a million dollars an hour. I, I <laughs> it's just so soul sucking and torturous. I think that should be the yeah. minimum wage. Just being like powerless face of a fucking blood-sucking corporate entity <laughs> and then you just have to like face all these angry frustrated people and they're all yelling at you, you like personally yeah. they're not yelling at the blood-sucking corporation of course they're yelling at the representatives yeah. like dude i don't make the fucking rules but yeah you can keep yelling at <laughs> me for just being a body sitting in this chair that's fine <laughs> good lord what a what a mess i mean just like thinking about all of these things that need to fall into place. Oh, so we have all these borrowers that are going to need to start paying back, but um, we're going lean um, and cutting <laughs> off services and workers and all this. Um, all these people that uh, have forgotten their passwords, we'll need to figure that out. All these people who uh, weren't even paying back at the time of the pandemic, we got to figure that bullshit out. These people who... Um, um, <clears throat> that are under this review of the um, who are set back by years of mismanagement, quote unquote, um, around income driven repayment plans and all the people who are making different incomes. There, I mean, it's just like the complexity doesn't end. What's what's way simpler? Just I don't know, forgiving the fucking debt and then figuring out. Oh, I don't know. The federal government just prints money anyways. So what's the big deal here? Um, again, it's. Who does this federal government, who does this state uh, apparatus serve? Yes, we'll do all this complex bullshit. We'll figure that out because that's better than not serving our corporate overlords, not serving the business uh, community, uh, et cetera. But complexity is good, right? That must mean that the system is uh, doing what it's supposed to do. It's that's that's uh what we've uh, come up in in modernity, right? Like complexity equals um, like legitimacy. It's legi- like it's thank so you. complicated. Yeah. It must be working. Thank you. I couldn't think of the terms. Uh, complexity equals legitimacy. Exactly. That's kind of what this is. It also it also feels very much like this is an inevitable outcome of living in, um, you know, the perfect encapsulation of capitalism at its finest which we see it for this broken behemoth, but the behemoth is actually working as it should. And the trudgery that we incur is part of being so atomized at the individual level that we all just accept this labyrinthine complexities uh, as part of um, the system that greases the wheels of the bastion of democracy, freedom, liberty, and all these type of things. So we accept it as it is and we accept it individually that i have to tacitly deal with these rigors these pains in the fucking asses these boils that need to be lanced and they're all over our body 
you know, I got to deal with this paperwork and make this call. And there's another review and another evaluation and something will be extended and furthered and all this type of stuff. And I have this file of paperwork and that's just what life is here. And we accept it as part of living in the great capitalist environment of the U.S. of A. This is what people mean when they say Kafkaesque, right? Just the dealing with the bureaucracy with no face. All of the things that fill your plate on a daily basis of just living in, um, you know, post-industrial society uh, that Bay is just talking about. All these things on your plate that constantly pile up, and the frustrations that ensue from that, and the lack of catharsis um, with the frustrations of it, like. There's nowhere to specifically point to where the frustrations come from. It is this faceless bureaucracy that all of us encounter on a daily basis. And there's no way to, I mean, besides obviously collective organizing and all the stuff we talk about in Marxist terms, but on an individual level, there's no way to transcend or overcome these uh, difficulties. So you just get pissed off privately and do it anyways. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. Um, there's no other way to confront uh, this bureaucracy, this this faceless bureaucracy. So everything that Bay just described, I just think I just encapsulate in that phrase, Kafka-esque. That's what people mean by that, uh, in, in addition to other meanings of it, but especially when we're talking about bureaucracy. And I also want to pose that to, um, you know, the alternative, which is what we all understand from the moment we initially come into contact with these systems and that is this broad wide all-encompassing understanding of what is education itself and so we're taught that education is a public good and that itself is understood implicitly and explicitly and at the same time it kind of goes over our heads that well in this society the public good is not the public good for the betterment of all of us that it serves science and progress and the productive forces of our society are furthered and our lives are bettered. It's no, the capitalist productive forces are furthered and pockets are lined even more and money stacked in banks even more for these people. But that understanding is usually not there for most. What it is, is we understand the lessons that have been preached to us, that education is something to be valued. And most importantly, it's to be valued because education itself is what will lead to success in your future. Why so many people, you know, also pursue paths, not just physicianhood, but all these other things where it's like, well, I value this, but I also value it because of, you know, um, the values I hold, the values I uh, subscribe to and ascribe to this particular professional position. And by doing this, I will be a contributing member of society and I'll also get paid well. And at the same time, instead of it being as simple as entering college college is free i can you know if i want to change majors etc whatever i major in it doesn't matter i'll be able to contribute um to the collective i'll be able to better myself individually have a family own a house uh, own a car or at least pay taxes for great public transportation etc you are saddled with debt immediately and the interest and everything that comes with that. And then you can't escape it. And even if you escape it at some point, um, then you still have to pay back whatever you, you know, accrued on that journey. And then you're dealing with all, and this is part of the atomization, 
the enormous amount of personal responsibility that is placed on people, the sense of shame, the sense of guilt, uh, just that overbearing Protestant ethic of capital of sinning against the values of capitalist, um, you know, professionalism. And the market, you know, the market is our God, right? And sinning against our God means going against what the market dictates. And that's all we're supposed to do is whatever the market dictates. It's um, what you were saying about education and like, um, in like the broad public eye, it's this public good. We use it. We use education to better ourselves, better our communities, better our, better our society. I mean, maybe this existed at one point, this, and I call it like an idealistic conception of education because Maybe that's what we think it does, what we want it to do, perhaps. But materially, the education system in the United States is a mechanism of debt generation, right? And anytime we're talking about debt, we're talking about Nietzsche, the infinite debt, right? We're talking about mechanisms of control. That's really what all of this is at at the last analysis and the final analysis, right? these debt generating mechanisms and these are not specific to student loans like we've talked about this before credit card debt is another huge mechanism of social control keeping people in their station preventing them from um climbing the social ladder or uh preventing them from escaping the tendrils of control from either a government the state or a corporation Medical debt too. We've talked about this a million times on the podcast. How medical debt will uh, will contr- will prevent people from doing the things they want to do because they are now, you know, at the behest of some uh, lender. Because you, either your insurance sucks or you're underinsured, you don't have insurance, whatever the case may be. Um, so, always in the background of everything we're talking about with debt, we're talking about control and. Over the past 50 years, it's just become more and more clear. Why are education costs skyrocketing? It's just, that's the way it is. That's the way the market is. Like, no, it's because they can. They're raising prices. Um, Universities are making a ton of money off of people. Um, But this is great for the state because this means that what is is the uh, fundamental kind of guiding force? It is to place people into these uh, single paths toward uh, a trajectory toward a certain outcome, which is mm-hmm. go to school, get married, have some kids, and fuck off to the suburbs, basically, yeah. and and leave us alone. Well, as we de- continue to exploit you and accumulate capital, that's the formula. And debt itself, ultimately, in any form, is a disciplinary tool. When you think about it in the medical sense, it's once again a capitalist ethic. Do you have any control over getting sick, becoming disabled, uh, infirmed, right. et cetera? No. But the fact that you are and you go into medical debt is that type of um, disciplinary tool. It's like, well, you shouldn't have been. Well, right. how are you going to pay this off? Well, you shouldn't have been sick in the first place. We attach it to work. Why do we attach it to work? Because that is who you are primarily in um, the governing elite's eyes. You are a worker. Yes. So if we're going to give you health, health that we grant to you, we grant you that by giving you health care that you have to earn by being a worker. And if you can't work and you get sick, well, that debt is on you. The same thing goes for education. We 
we don't want you like when you look at the conservative arguments um surrounding debt and student loan forgiveness etc and it always comes back to well it's like we didn't get a smart degree you went to a liberal arts school oh you majored in the humanities etc all it's saying is the only degree that's important is a degree that is important to this economy and therefore it is a degree that is created by the capitalist marketplace itself and if you didn't get a degree uh, that functions in an appropriate manner well, that's on you and that debt is your fault the debt controls you from yep. the get-go and at the same time too even if you got a good degree in their sense um but itself like you know in order to get that you were a black person from charlotte north carolina and you got a degree but at the same time even though you're doing everything you're supposed to uh the debt that you accrued uh, from the loans that you've taken out, you just can't pay off. Well, that's still your fault. You didn't make the personally responsible decisions or you got your degree from the wrong college or, well, maybe you just shouldn't have done that. You should have gone to a trade school, et cetera, because those jobs which like weren't for you, which obviously has racial implications, but everything is baked around this. It's just a constant whirlwind of threads, like all weave together in their world, in their eyes. And all on an individual basis, too. Exactly. None of this has anything to do with the systemic critique. And I've, I've heard this so many times from colleagues or just people I know, like, oh, they went and they what they have a sociology degree. Like, what's the fucking point of that? It's like, well, maybe they were interested in fucking sociology. Like, what? why is again, why is the burden on me that I'm studying something that I think is interesting and could change the world, change my situation, change my family situation, whatever the case may be. Like people shouldn't be punished for pursuing what interests them. Like that that's what's so disgusting about this like at base it's just people being punished, which is always a thirst for punishment in capitalist society or when in any state society I should say. Always a thirst for punishment, an individual punishment, right? Um also, like the argument about like the right kind of degree, it's like, oh, you should have done a STEM degree, you should have done computer science or whatever. It's like, if everyone did that, those degrees would be valueless because exactly. there would be an overproduction exactly. of people who can code. No, that's like, so true. We this need whole people doing other things. Yeah, like the this whole, whole point of society itself is to have the wide encompassing array of people filled with the wonderful breadth of understanding and knowledge in all its forms. And to also know like, hey, even if you get a degree in this, like what is the point of going to a job and not learning how to perform it necessarily? And you'll have a conservative argument, then what's the point of college? And you always get into this type of, you know, uh, counter back and forth with these type of people here. But the reality is an educated society is educated and that itself is a benefit, like a human benefit, a collective benefit, a societal benefit, et cetera. And at the same time, you see the way the market dictates what degrees are important at the moment, the way all of a sudden data science and data analytics and all these things that also are connected to American empire often serve, you know, like engineering degrees that often go to uh, weapons manufacturing yeah. and, you know, um, surveillance of some sort and all these type of things. Well, those are things that work at the moment, but history that's never important english why do you need to know the language that you speak um math i guess it's fine as long as you use it in an applicable manner well what's applicable anything that serves industry like well what's industry in this like particular context of the united states you know this is what you get into all the time or serves empire of course exactly 
And I will say like, I, like I was a STEM major, obviously I have a lot of friends who have very good degrees from very good schools in STEM who do nothing in the field of science. And they are just as precarious as a lot of other folks who got history degrees or English degrees. Like it's, it's like shifting the blame in such a weird way that like, if you knew anybody who went to school, like you could kind of immediately like tell on its face like, well, I know that's not true for like X, Y, Z people. And to try to like make it this like, oh, this is something that only affects like elite coastal people who get, you know, 80,000 a year degree dollar degrees from like fancy colleges doing underwater basket weaving. It's like, no, like people graduating from like very reasonable, you know, state schools with good degrees can still end up completely fucked. Like everyone is precarious. Yeah. But anyway, so just to get back to like the Kafka-esque-ness of it all, not only are we just like all bugs, but um, they're scaling (laughs) back call center hours while this is all happening. Um, And the department spokesperson said, we are fully committed to, fuck, that's like a really aggressive ice cream truck in my neighborhood. Well, let's listen. listen. (laughs) Oh, he stopped. Starting to yeah fade. What a shame. Okay, but anyway, so we are fully committed to supporting student loans borrowers as they successfully navigate returning to repayment. The department is deeply concerned about lack of adequate annual funding made available to this federal student aid this year. As the department has repeatedly made clear, restarting repayment requires significant resources to avoid unnecessary harm to borrowers, such as cuts to servicing, um, and then industry experts outside the education department are more blunt it's possible that student loan servicers may be overwhelmed with a high volume of inquiries isn't that like what every single call center says right we are experiencing a higher than usual yeah, call your volume. call is important to us just shut the fuck <laughs> up and wait an hour please stay on the line yeah it is possible you may not reach your servicer via phone call via phone the first time you call and you may need to call a few times before getting disconnected before getting connected how many times have you done that? You just like call. It could be like anything. I've been on the call with fucking Comcast every lunch break trying to get shit done. And it's like, you think you have enough time, but you don't. Cause it takes you 30 minutes to like actually get to talking with someone. And then like, they don't know what the fuck is going on. There's no on. guarantee it, you're actually like, going to get it fixed. Exactly. <laughs> then you're like, well, I have to go back to work now. So I'll call again tomorrow. Um, so the consequences of returning to repayment under the current funding system are going to be disastrous as borrower advocate Persis Hugh, who points out that the student loan system functioned poorly, even when it was fully funded and there was no need to help borrowers return to repayment. You warns, unless Congress gives FSA more funding, this could, transition could be a train wreck. On this point, there is some bipartisan agreement. Oh, oh terrific. fucking God. Good. <laughs> Fox, the the House Education Committee chairwoman, says she too worries about the return to repayment because the department is terribly managed. Uh, But she says, I don't think there's much sympathy to give more money to the department. It's using its money inappropriately, using its people inappropriately. Something has to be done about that. That's the classic conservative argument. Oh my, exactly. Underfund something, cut more funding. It's not doing its job. Let's get rid of it. Yes. Like they do it in Canada and the UK for NHS, for Medicare. Like this is just the conservative playbook. Like, see, it's, it's terribly managed. It has enough money. It's, it's not a money problem. It's a people problem. Mm-hmm. It's always uh, attach a personal um, 
failure to these type of things where it's like, eh, it's always being mismanaged. It's always, um, you know, an allocation that doesn't necessarily serve its purpose uh, wisely. Same shit, different day. Yeah, let's like, <laughs> let's put a um, <clears throat> un, like impenetrable chokehold on the VA to the point where it's underfunded over several years. And then let's complain about how much it sucks and we don't know why it sucks and then only to get rid of it. And yeah, Medicare is like the perfect example and, and Medicaid too uh, are perfect examples in this country of why is this thing not working? And then the narrator comes in and it's like, um, they've been underfunding this program for, you know, two, two decades, uh, unbeknownst to and whatever. Like, yeah, totally the conservative playbook time and time again. Yes. And in the case of, I think, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, like the administrative costs and what they're able to do is like far, far more effective and efficient than anything in the private sector. But, you know, fuck them. Um, Same thing so is going on with the, the IRS, last... by the way, right? What's that? I said the same thing is going on in the IRS right now too, isn't it? Where they're underfunded and they're well. I mean, again, neoliberalism 101 is cut all forms of state spending uh, again because yeah, the the government spending is just the same as you know a family unit spending, same exact thing, guys. Right? Haha. <laughs> um, just f underfund everything, cut funding to everything in order to increase subsidies to uh, private industry. And the same thing's happening with the IRS, I'm pretty sure, right now. And probably what's going to happen from that is they're going to use what little resources they have to go after middle-income people because they're never going to go after the high earners, right? All that's going to happen with this is they're just going to continue to isolate middle-income or middle-to-high-income earners. And they're going to get even more annoyed because they've already been targeted in the past because, again, nobody goes after the high earners because the system serves the high earners. So we're going to have some very similar uh, destructive tendency when it comes to the FSA as well. Yeah. Can't wait for them to like go after just like the fucking teacher buying their own supplies. <laughs> yes. Like, well, you shouldn't have deducted that $60. I'm telling you, it's going to be shit like that for real. Yeah. The, the like small potatoes, nothing special. And then just so they can say, yep, we're doing our job with limited resources too. That's what's going to happen. Um, and this is the last point on the NPR story. Uh, student loan debt is growing to keep up with college costs, and Biden's plan wouldn't have changed that. No. Correct. <laughs> <Before> <laughs> no fucking way. Story, <laughs> I, I pre-wrote two different versions. Uh, one, if the courts preserve the Biden debt plan, and another in case it's scrapped it. Both versions had the same ending. Which is this point? Uh, Biden's debt relief plan, as generous as it was, would have done nothing to address the growing levels of student debt borrowers that student loan debt student loan debt borrowers are taking on. Just jack off motion. Um, the U.S. government will continue to issue loans to help Americans afford colleges, even as colleges were raise prices, forcing Americans to take out even more loans. I mean, isn't a part of the colleges like raising prices just the complete and tacit understanding that like everyone will have to take out loans and that's just a given. So it's like a free money printer. Like they're just going to get it from the government anyway and then they'll pay it off. Who cares? Right. Like uh, all the people who are coming up, you know, in 
middle school, high school now who will eventually be borrowers, like they're probably looking at this and be like, um, cool. Like what's this going to do for me though? Or like, obviously the people who are far beyond the 125,000, like all, all these other uh, groups that we've been talking about, like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't a durable, it's not even a fix really. It's slapping a bandaid on a gaping wound, somebody who's exsanguinating. That's really what this is. It's not a fix at all. It is a aesthetic, what we've talked about since literally episode one of Eminem. It is an aesthetic band-aid so that they can turn around and say, look how good we are compared to the evil name the enemy, usually yeah. the Republicans. That's all this shit is. It feels like a video game where it's like pick your journey and you can pick infinite amounts to get to the same ending either way. Mm-mm. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the day, it's um, nothing actually gets fixed, so we can talk about how good we are. That That is the ending point of any policy move, particularly by the Democrats. And to call this plan generous, like... Oh, I know. Mm. God, <laughs> it's just, like, revolting. To who? Like, For you who? have no standards. Yeah, come on. I would want to say NPR, I expect better of you, but I really shouldn't, so I'm not... I don't. <laughs> Oh, God. Anyway, so the inflation-adjusted cost of college has doubled since 1990 from $15,000 a year to $29,000 uh, in 2020. And student students are using loans to keep up because their parents' income obviously hasn't. Um, and between 95 to 2017, federal student loan ha- debt has increased more than sevenfold from $187 billion to $1.4 trillion. Um, and I did a quick check. As of, I think, last year, uh, it is $1.7 trillion. So it is up and up and up. Are you guys familiar with the term uh, sustainability? Because I'm seeing it right here and now. And <laughs> uh, then everything I'm hearing. Infinite growth. Nothing bad could yes, happen. What infinite could growth. We're, we're fine. All good. Just keep keep that fucking wheel going, baby. Don't think about everything else that's going on. Just keep that fucking wheel churning. Another way to think about uh, it, too, is that in 2019, when the economy was, you know, by experts considered uh, relatively solid, you know, before COVID hit, that more than one in five students were at least three months behind on their loans, or obviously students that had, you know, uh, gone into the payment um, period. So not only does that translate to a significantly high default rate, that's more than twice the comparable amount of mortgage debt at the peak of the 08 housing crisis. Wow. Oh, damn. What happened then? It was good, right? They failed <laughs> the ending over. was terrific. Like, for, for us millennials in college at that time, like, we fucking awesome. It's interesting, too. Like, um, well, you just mentioned the inflation, what is it? Inflation adjusted cost having doubled in the past mm. 30 years or so. Uh, and students are using loans to keep up. I mean, how is this any different from when you're talking about the neoliberal turn, right? Late 70s, early 80s, Reagan era. Um, we've all seen this chart, right, of productivity goes like this. Oh, my God, super big slope. But workers' income, oh, no, it's just a fucking straight line. Boohoo. Yeah, it's the same principle here, right, in, in terms of how our families, as an economic unit, how are families keeping up with stagnant wage growth, Despite increased productivity, credit cards, credit, that is how people are keeping up. It's the same principle, different flavors, right? Um, 
How are students going to be able to go to college? Loans. How are uh, families supposed to keep up with groceries and regular costs? Credit. It's it's uh, you know, how are people going to be able to afford a house? Mortgage. Again, we go back to this same mechanism of debt being a system of social control. And that's why I keep going back to it, because you see the same formula, different flavors in different sectors of the economy, right? Um, and, th and it's just, you know, spelled out here in plain language to you. I remember talking to an attending in medical school. He told me that his tuition in like 1970 was like $250. Like you fucking prick! How how could you do this to me? Uh, you know that, and and these same people are the ones who are doing the whole Biden. Like I don't feel bad for millennials, man. You know they they just you know. whining and is my supper ready yet? You know th this kind of move. The the people who are like, I did it. Why can't these fucking cranky ass zillennials and millennials and zers? Why can't they just figure it out like I did? Uh, not taking into account the complete change in the social fabric doesn't matter at all. I did it. Why can't you? Again, more guilt. <laughs> Just what we need. More guilt uh, from people who are are completely detached from your situation. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, because the Biden administration does have a plan to address that brokenness, Ooh. and it hinges on a newly proposed, much more forgiving income-driven repayment plan. <laughs> Oh, much oh, more forgiving. Wonderful. I like that. Yeah. One that has drawn praise from borrower advocates and sharp criticism from Republicans. So, gosh, mm. I wonder what will happen in, in Congress. Uh, but even if the administration is able to roll out this plan, it's unclear how quickly it would be available to borrowers returning to repayment. I don't think it's going to be sooner than September. Uh, and what's more, implementing a new income-driven repayment plan that is radically different from the status quo will require incredible investment and support for the borrowers. Again, loan servicers, call centers, employees are the voice of the federal student loan program and the student, the system will need more of them and they'll need more training to implement any new payment repayment plan. The fact that servicers are being told to slash services right now is not a hopeful sign. This reminds me of, um, when we're talking about a single payer, we're talking about Medicare for all. This was really big in the Bernie run 2016, the lead up to the 2016 election. We're talking about Medicare for all, replacing our anarchic, marketized healthcare uh, payment system. And people are doing this thing. How are we going to pay for it? The, the, the usual. But the other one I heard a ton, which is very much in the similar vein to this, is like, well, you know, and you know they're they're just so concerned for these people. Of course, what are we going to do with all of the workers that are employed by insurance companies who who like and who like their insurance? First of all, uh, sorry, sorry. Show me one person who's like fucking love my health insurance would never get rid of it. Show me one person, and I'll eat my words. Um, what are we going to do with these poor workers? They they are so embroiled in our system of private health insurance, what are we going to do with them? Um, it's the same thing here. Well, uh, we have this um, huge problem. Well, the call center employees, what about them? You know, it's, it's not like exactly the same, but it's just this like accepting the layers of complexity and not just releasing these presuppositions and saying, how do we fucking get out of this? Oh my God, just how do we get out? You know, nobody 
is wanting to think beyond our current set of conditions. It's just, yeah, we're going to need more people to take phone calls. Why are we talking about this? It's unbelievable <laughs> that we're even like entertaining this as something that is um, important to think about. The correct answer, obviously, is to to release people from their debt. Guess what? We don't have to worry about this shit anymore. Great. And guess how many more people it will help? A lot more than, uh, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 million people, if that. It's just, I, I, I liberals try to do this. Like when they try to argue with you a little bit, they get into the complexities of the currently existing system, whereas communists are trying to be like, we need to get out of this complexity, get out of this system, then we don't have to worry about it, right? We need to reconfigure it from the bottom. I don't want to hear about these procedures, the parliamentarian, whatever horse horseshit uh, thing that you, you come up with next. I don't care. I don't want to know about these layers of bureaucracy. I want to move past it and construct the new. That is what we as communists should focus on, not getting bogged down in these stupid details like who's going to take the calls for paying back student loans? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How boring is this? I love how, you know, liberals get caught up into responding to the hyperbolic, exaggerative claims by the right. Like what you were first mentioning, where it's like, well, grandpappy died on the sands of Iwo Jima for Blue Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> and that's why you were working as a third yep. lineage uh, call service representative for Aetna and their C-tiered plans. And it's like, and then liberals will get all wrapped up into defending these workers. And then, you know, they'll... Well, America does stand for like the freedom to choose. And we have this great family lineage of yep. mm -hmm. uh, people, you know, who uh, have served us in these very like that's what liberals do. And we're over yep. here just like looking at all the theatrical bullshit and just laughing. Yes. Theatrical. Yes. What about all of the asbestos factory workers? They've been working for generations. Don't they deserve an income? <laughs> don't, don't the lead paint factory workers deserve an income? Fuck off. I, feel, I feel like, like it gets like just train them all into MAs. Yeah. Who yeah. cares? We need healthcare workers. Send them to fucking nursing school. Send them to medical school. Like I feel like it plays on the idea of people actually just being proud of their hard work and in that sense, their heritage that they come from a hardworking like line of people who are industrious in that sense. Like so, when you talk about you know people working in the coal mines of Appalachia and all that. It's like, yeah, people are just proud to make a living and put food on their table. And all these people grow and they understand like, hey, like why they do things from the position of a laborer and therefore from the mind of a proletariat, like a member of the proletariat. But we don't give a fuck about all this exaggerative, like conservative, liberal, like Americana bullshit and then connecting it to loans and all the complexities of like, you know, infinitely vast system that we deal with now yep. also nobody gives a fuck when like people get laid off for uh, you know at the hands of capital like to cut costs or like the millions of people who kind of have to just stay at a shitty job every year because they can't afford health care or anything mm -hmm. else i mean it's it's only when it's a hypothetical but anyway, but I, I pulled up another article, um, some good tips from USA Today. And how can I prepare to start repaying my student loans? Some steps to consider. Okay. 
So one, put into a savings account the money you would need each month for your student loan repayment. So it's earning a little interest until it has to be used. Great tip. Like what's the interest rate on like a regular savings account? And then if I put like $500 in there, Great. Yeah, I think it's like point like 0.03% or something like that is is the interest you get from a regular regular bank account, I want to say. Also, it's earning interest until September 1st. Like what the fuck am I going to do in June? And check your employee benefits. Oh, oh, for example, Aetna matches employees US student based student loan payments up to $2,000 a year for a lifetime maximum of $10,000 for qualifying loans. PwC offers associates and senior associates um, $1,200 a year to, to student debt, and Google matches up to $2,500 a year. Great, so work for one of those three companies. Yeah. Um, start cutting expenses and pick up a side hustle. Oh, yes. <laughs> Here we go. Byung-Chul Han, psychopolitics incoming. Oh, it's time to change yourself from subject to project. Are you not doing a side hustle? What's wrong with you? You must uh, really love your <laughs> miserable situation. Pick up a gig, turn a hobby into a income stream. Mm -hmm. Turn that nine to five into a five to nine, baby. Mm -hmm. I can't believe Dolly did this to us, by the way. I cannot believe that she did that. I know. Come on, Dolly. That was just heartbreaking. Completely like, heartbreaking. Ow. Fucking A. I mean, you were an icon and then you go and do some bullshit like that. Anyways, sorry. Go ahead. I know. So Betsy Mayotte, uh, president of Institute of Student Loan Advisors, a nonprofit based in Plymouth, Massachusetts, said borrowers should reevaluate their expenditures and stop spending as though debt is forgiven. Like people were fucking doing that. People were just like fucking throwing parties with their student loan money that they were just like, no, I'm going to burn it now. I'm going to buy a Ferrari. Yeah. She suggests borrowers set up an interest-bearing account into which they can deposit amounts equal to their anticipated monthly payments. Though the interest on these accounts can be beneficial, what's more helpful is the practice of budgeting and forming a new routine around those payments. <laughs> this is another uh, problem with our society where we have created this class of professionals who have valorized uh, the infinite little metrics that like govern our financial lives so they get all obsessed with like you know the transition from pensions to retirement accounts to 401ks to uh hsas fsas roth iras etc and so these people are treated as uh intellectuals like brilliant minds in the very pragmatic real world sense and so all people should understand how to spend their money and therefore like if you take debt once again, you should know how to pay it back and be a responsible individual. So it's a culture of responsibility, also a culture that uh, rewards fucking idiots like this that think they're saying something salient and poignant in regards to, you know, the current financial crisis that everyone is having to endure for the most part. See, the solution that conservatives give in this kind of uh, arena is... Well, you know, the problem is not so much all of the financial instruments that are exploited by people who have money. Um, it's the problem is that people go through high school without understanding what any of this means. There's no financial education. People don't understand like what they're actually doing. And da -da -da -da. I need to learn how to balance a checkbook. A, like, uh, it's like, dude, <laughs> I I could know how to balance a checkbook at age three. That doesn't mean that I'll be able to pay back my student loans. 
that the two are completely incongruent. Like just because I know how to balance a checkbook and I know what a SEP IRA is, it doesn't mean that I don't have to pay back $200,000 of fucking loans. How stupid is this? I'm sorry, I can't stand this argument that, oh, it's just a matter of education. People just have to understand the situation they're getting into. Guess what? They don't have a choice. So what does it matter if you understand it or not? You still have to take out loans to go to college. You still have to pay that back with all of the interest on the back end. What it makes, it doesn't make a difference. Sure, that's great if you understand that stuff, but it doesn't change your situation. So fuck off. Miss me with that stupid education bullshit. It doesn't change material conditions, which are we are embroiled in a society with no with fake choice, false choice, the choice of the market, which is not a choice, not a not a not a personal choice It is a choice on which commodities best suit my transient identity. That's it. That is the world we live in. And any education about the intricacies of which don't change your ability to choose. I'm sorry. They really don't. Uh, but <laughs> you can check if you're eligible to lower your payments with a new plan. You can speak to your servicer and use online loan simulator for options. That Even though sexual. didn't the last loan simulator? Say, sorry, like, did I hear you right? Loan simulator? Yes. <laughs> oh, oh my god! I thought you said stimulator. You know those like, sketchy I was like, ass like porn games. Yeah. I imagine it's that, yeah. but just for like capitalists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's on the side, like hot moms are in your area, or like those weird <laughs> like sexual anime games that are like horrible ads, like you know, at yeah. the bottom of a page or something. Yeah. When I'm just trying to like watch Simpsons for free on these sketchy ass streaming websites, and it's got mm-hmm. all these like awful like yeah. simulator games on the side. And it's got like some horrible racialized like voice that it's just like an Asian one was like, you want to play loan stimulator? I mean, shoot, I'm going to simulate a future where I can afford my loan payments without crying. (laughs) Can I simulate a better life? Can we can we do that simulator? Um, Yeah, I mean, I played The Sims growing up. Um, I've been thinking about playing Farm Simulator, Um, maybe getting into that. But if there's loan simulator, I mean. You know, I'm sure they have that on uh, Steam, at least for a discounted price around the holidays. So I got to look at that. The next point is basically the same thing. Know what your payments will look like and whether you'll be able to afford them. If not, and you don't qualify for forgiveness, it may make sense to refinance at a lower interest rate if possible, even though like didn't the interest rates go up hugely after COVID? Anyway, if possible for the payments restart. Just note, once loans are refinanced with a private company, they will no longer be eligible for any federal forgiveness plans. So, great. Um, Check your eligibility for other government loan forgiveness plans. Check out Matthew Lesko, free money from the government, $5.99, buy the book. Always in our hearts and minds, Matthew Lesko, never forget. Free money from the government. From the government. (laughs) (laughs) For example, individuals in the nonprofit field likely qualify for PSLF, which does not have a cap and should take this time to make sure they are properly enrolled. Talk to an advisor. Anyone with student loans can speak with a mentor or a financial advisor. Are these free to educate themselves about their options? Right. This isn't advice. I'm like, it is advice, but it it's not. It doesn't change your situation. It's like, 
I'm going to write a couple hundred words on what you can do, which basically amounts to check over here, talk to somebody over there, consider this. It's not, again, it's not changing your situation. You're just obtaining information, right? Let's, it's not a material change in your life. It's just stop reading this article and don't email me and look at this website over here, talk to this person over there, check on this. I don't know. I mean, it's, is it really advice? And all of it's like wrapped around this personal ethos of personal responsibility and accountability. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's like, you know, gain personal knowledge, seek out a mentor, talk to an advisor. <laughs> it sounds like you're a child, like who in elementary school, you yes. know, you were disobedient and got kicked out or sent into the hall one too many times. It's like, I need a financial mentor to guide me. Yeah. I, have to I don't know how to do my, my money. I don't know yeah. how to spend my money. I need a, yeah, it's an, again, always an appeal to authority. That's, that's pretty much what this is again. Also, like one time in residency, like they were giving us all these like lectures on financial responsibility and like how to save for retirement while we're getting, you know, paid $40,000. And so I was like, oh, wow, like maybe I should talk to one at my bank. And I set up this like free thing and they talked me through like all the fees. And I was like, so what would be the difference between like paying you whatever percent and just like putting my money into like an actual retirement fund or like just buying like, you know, index funds or whatever, like something super low risk. He's like, well, like I would be there to answer questions and we could, and it's like, so you don't do anything. <laughs> like there's no financial advisor that like actually beats return rates on like most investments. Like it's just a cut yeah. off the top. Like these are middlemen. Pretty much. Um, but this, this is the last piece of advice. Very good. Uh, consider paying your loan down before the repayment starts. Oh, of course. Oh, <laughs> like, so I should have just paid it. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm not so, able to repay it, I should repay it. Be like ah. that nerd. Be that huge fucking nerd that starts doing their homework before it's ever assigned. That's what it's asking you to do once or again. Like, yeah. Telling like a sick person, like, have you considered like not being sick? Yeah. Right. Don't exactly. use your health insurance. It's Why don't expensive. you get cancer treatment before you get cancer? Like this. Yeah. This is that fucking nerd who read the whole math textbook in the summer before they started. Oh, loser. This isn't advice. <laughs> oh, this is not advice. <laughs> So because the pause includes a 0% interest rate, 100% of your payments made during the pause go towards your principal. If you trim your loan amount down, you may be able to cut the length of your loan. Not if you accrue interest afterwards, like exactly. which is a huge problem. Exactly. Like even if you are a fucking heartless fool and you believe that students these who just want to better their lives and provide a needed service again for a functioning society, uh, even if you believe that they should pay every single fucking cent back, there's so many people who end up paying like multiples of what they ever actually owed for decades because like there's an interest rate that accrues on the amount every fucking month and every month that you're not paying during school. Like it's one thing to make people pay it back, but it's another to make money off of fucking kids going to school, which is like wild. But, um, and because we live in hell, there's um, all this news now coming out 
that scammers are taking advantage of the confusion around student loans after uh, SCOTUS Act Biden's debt forgiveness plan. So the FTC is now issuing like official warnings against like, do not fall for scams. Do not send anybody your like login. Like if you like, do not share like any information. The IRS about your will never contact debt. you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Don't pay for help accessing student loans. Um, quote, as there's nothing that a company can do that you can't do yourself for free. But we just like live in hell. Like there's just like something. Remember with like FEMA after that like huge flood in Appalachia? Mm, and it's like, yeah. oh, like don't just fucking give your like social security number away to FEMA. Well, like there were there were people on FEMA. the ground in those like flooded areas in, in like Kentucky and West Virginia when this happened. There were people on the ground who were I think they were either pretending to be FEMA uh, workers <laughs> or just oh I'm part of some nonprofit that I made up. Uh, give me money and all this. Yeah, I, scamming is getting really bad recently. That's another wonderful part about our society. How like we have created the most tremendous cottage industry of scammers that come just. <laughs> like locusts out of the ground after every major incident, whether it's a climate catastrophe or some uh, large scale policy decision that uh, reverts, you know, something that used to be. So now there's, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people having to restart payments, et cetera. All of a sudden, wow, like scammers out the fucking woodworks. This this is, uh, you know, th this is the feast that's coming, right? All the scammers are... You know, they're buying multiple phones, they're getting voice changing technology, they're, you know, all, no, I mean, th this is, this is their, not their nine, what's the opposite of 9-11? This is their, um, this is their Super Bowl. This is the scammer Super Bowl coming up here. And they're not going to let I a mean, good opportunity go to waste. There's like just straight up scammers who will like never provide you any service. And then there's like whole industries of quasi-legal scammers where like they don't provide any service that like you couldn't have done for yourself but like if you don't fully know what the distinction is between like your federal student loan aids office versus like a private student loan service then like you're ending up paying you know three hundred dollars to something that sounds really official yeah um like they also do this like after you buy a house i didn't realize but like i can like all of a sudden the fucking flood floodgates opened up my new address and I started getting like um, all these like really official looking like that look like, you know, my builder's titles and like, you know, stuff from the city. And it was like, call now to like extend your like builders, uh, like, extend your warranty. And I'm like, I thought I already had a warranty for my builder. Yeah. And that is completely different. And there I started getting like mortgage insurances and like, <laughs> What? <laughs> even though like i would have had to pay some like it's insane um well they count on those are all soup. technically legal right they count on word soup to confuse people and the same thing with um when you sign up for certain either marketplace health insurance or some states like in oregon for example they have their uh i think it's called ohp oregon health plan which is their medicaid basically but a lot of scammers will take advantage of this small detail that it's called something a little bit different, I think. And yeah, it's quasi-legal. Um, you can go through them in order to obtain health insurance, like on the marketplace, but you don't have to. So you might end up spending more money to this 
literal parasite, this middleman who's just sitting there directing you, quote unquote, into obtaining healthcare, completely unnecessary, unbeknownst to so many people. Um, but it seems official. It seems like what you're supposed to do. And I've seen this firsthand from a friend of mine who's trying to get on an OHP. Like I literally saw this happening, calling this place. And then calling this other place, and then once you put your name or phone number on their list, or if it, once it gets there on their register, or whatever, nonstop calls from other quasi legal scammers who are trying to, you know, <laughs> get a little bit off the top. It's crazy. Basically, 2022, 2023, Super Bowl for scammers. It is a fucking free for all. Um, and I feel especially bad for boomers because I feel like they are the ones who are. <laughs> The only time I'll say I feel bad for boomers, they're getting crushed by these scammers, especially the telephone scammers. They're the ones um, watching like daytime TV now that they're retired and buying life insurance from like fucking Joe Theismann and at the same time like being roped <laughs> into a life alert and all this shit. And they're just like, yeah, I've seen yeah, it getting too. ripped off by Medicaid, Medicare Advantage, you know, classic yeah. move. Oh, man. Super Bowl and, for scammers, I mean, guys. We've literally made a mode of communication completely unusable because of scams in America. Yes, totally. If I if there's ever a phone number I don't recognize now, there's no chance I'm answering it. Yes. And it could be, you know, my bank saying um, there is a <laughs> there is a charge of whatever five thousand dollars or something like that. But I'm not going to answer that shit. Could be a scammer. Couldn't be me. I'm not getting scammed. My ass if I'm getting scammed. <laughs> This fucking happens for my patients too. I'll be like calling them being like, hi, I'm trying to figure out what to do for your medicines. And they're like, oh, I didn't pick up because I didn't know your number. Mm -hmm. I thought you were a scam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yep. pretty much a, like you only like answer in the sense of, you know, that number or you will return a call when someone leaves a voicemail. If not, it's like bitch text. Yep. Bitch text me. Exactly. <sighs> I thought maybe to like round this out. Um, because I think there's always some proportion of people who are like, oh, well, America's not that bad, or like, it can't be any better than this. Um, I thought we could maybe look at a couple examples of what's going on in other countries that are pretty comparable. Um, so Canada uh, completely, I mean, Canada did a very similar like pause on any student loan payments during COVID, but they actually just eliminated all interest on student debt. So they are doing the thing of saying like, we are no longer gonna do usury. Uh, we are no longer going to make money off of people trying to educate themselves. So that's great. And I will say as having been a beneficiary of the Canadian educational system, I paid $5,000 a year to go to college. Um, and most of that was forgiven after I graduated because number one, I wasn't making enough money and like I was in good standing for my like future studies. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like and, that's the least like, you can ask for, mm -hmm. right? Is at least don't make me pay the fucking interest. I guess that is the least they can <laughs> yes. do. Like that's literally, the, I mean, if I have to like get any sort of help in like paying for school, like I would like to not pay a multiple of that amount just because I was poor at the beginning. Right. Right. Um, and I mean, also, you know, obviously lots of other countries, like you just don't have student debt in the same way that we do. Like most of, most of the EU, very minimal, uh, very minimal tuition, if not, if not an outright stipend for people who are studying. 
Um, and I mean, then listen, my dad a... in, sorry to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. My dad went to school in Syria for free, literally all paid for. Nothing came out of pocket, completely free. Yes, their education system is structured a little bit differently. It's based on like the baccalaureate exam and it's extremely competitive because there's only so many spots for this profession versus this profession for this. Okay, not maybe not the greatest system in that sense, but guess what? Went to school faux free in Syria. Not not the, you know, um, what, what would be referred to in the West as some sort of bastion of freedom and democracy. We can debate that, of course, with uh, Bashar the lion. All I'm saying... We need yes. a flag of Bashar the lion <laughs> in the background just waving. Exactly. All <laughs> I'm only simply saying, um, for, 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 for people who think this is somehow like fucking impossible, um, just look at a country that has been decimated by U.S. empire and all the proxy wars from that, and they still are able to do this. So... Shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway. Um, and also like just other like other countries have made it a priority that like young people starting their lives like maybe shouldn't be punished for trying to improve society in some way. Um, so we could do that as well. And Canada launched the new student loan forgiveness plan for specifically for doctors um, and some primary, for family medicine doctors, uh, primary care nurse practitioners and nurses practicing, and especially in rural areas, and they're forgiving up to $40,000 for doctors, which doesn't sound like a lot, but understand that in Canada, the average student loan is much, much lower, and the typical tuition for like a medical school is like probably closer to like $10,000 and not like 30, 40, 50 or more. Wow. Um, and in France, I mean, this was, this is pretty baller. I mean, France has a lot of problems, racism, um, colonialism, all that, (laughs) but they did grant citizenship (laughs) to 12,000 healthcare workers during COVID. Wow. Which it's not nothing. Yeah. But here we are going to squeeze every fucking dollar out of you for going to medical school. We'll get every drop of blood out of that stone. Not to worry. Mm-hmm. We'll do it. Well, it's nice to know that the possibilities are out there, even though we try to tell ourselves that, you know, the usual, this is just the way it is. Um, this is what Western democracy looks like. And if you don't like it, you know, go back to or go live in Cuba or, you know, some ridiculous. I wish. I mean, you know, if I could pick up my entire life that I've accrued over the last 31 years and uh, take all my friends and family and, you know, all the um, things that I, the things that I have and the things that I want to do, if I could pick up and do it, I probably would. But guess what? The way it's going right now, I would be all by my lonesome moving to Habana and, uh, you know. Furthering the revolution as a gringo, um, just kind of random guy. I guess I could do that. Who, what's stopping me? But um, I would miss my family in French, so I don't think I'm going to do that. Well, I can't speak Spanish. <laughs> would be really I can't speak Spanish. Shit, I'm, I'm not going to fucking do that. I can't learn Spanish. It's just the way it is. I know English, right? <sighs> well, um, is that the end of uh, that one? Yes. So no debt jubilee. We are still fucked. We're still fucked. 
Um, makes sense. That's kind of what I expected. And, you know, I didn't really want to get my hopes up in any of these Supreme Court decisions. And pretty much exactly what I thought would happen did, in fact, happen. And this is just sort of the world we live in today. Um, this is why so many, and, you know, liberals, rightly so, were, and, you know, leftists too, and communists, we were all concerned about the Supreme Court. It wasn't just, um, liberals who were who were saying that we're, we're being set back 50 60 years with these justices um they're going to dominate the court the republican conservative fascist <laughs> side is going to dominate the courts for pretty much the rest of our lives unless something changes of course and you know we're not going to advocate violence on the podcast of course um never would we do something like that if it were to happen we would sit back in our armchairs and dutifully observe and perhaps comment but we would never call for such a thing on the Eminem podcast we would never do that but it is interesting that we are really i think um i can't want to i can't remember who brought this up in our group chat but it is interesting and i agree that we haven't really seen much movement. It's just talking. It's just complaining. It's just being angry on Twitter. It's just, you know, bitching to your loved ones privately at home or maybe just to yourself. But no actual movement on how can we materially change our institutions? Maybe the thought is that we can't. Maybe we are so nihilistic in the United States that People really do think this is just how it has to be, and they're maybe waiting for some kind of savior. They're waiting for the contradictions to crash the system. Um, I, I, I really don't know. Um, I, I don't want to turn this into a darkness pit, but it is. it seems a little... I'm a little dejected by the lack of movement around these developments, I guess, and don't really know what it's going to take. I mean, I've heard people say something's got to give, you know, this can't go on forever. Maybe it can. I don't know. Maybe it can go on forever. It'd be really depressing and sad, but maybe it can go on for a long time. I hope that something arises, whether that's class consciousness, whether that's some miracle run by Cornell West, maybe it's, um, I don't know, an alien invasion. I'd take it. Fuck it. I'd take an alien invasion at this point. Something to get us out of the rut that we're currently in. Um, otherwise, it's just, it's sadness all the way down, isn't it? But I guess that's a decent place to wrap up before I get everybody crying on the pod. Anything else you guys want to mention or discuss before we wrap up? All right. So Eminem is back to our regularly scheduled monthly programming, unless we're not, of course, um, and don't hold us to that. It's been the Eminem podcast. Fidel, Sigmund, Bay, the usuals. Um, glad that you've listened. And um, we're in the full swing of summer. We are in the full swing of trauma season. Um, fireworks were really bad. I just have to mention this really quick. <laughs> really bad in Portland. For a city that is so environmentally forward and, you know, we have a problem with wildfires and we got to, like, take care of our communities and da, da, da. Bro, fireworks were going off for about six hours, uh, starting at seven o'clock. 
um, basically completely light outside still. People are going crazy with the fireworks, lighting them off till one, two o'clock in the morning. My dog and my cat are absolutely fucking. Yeah, I sound like a bourgeois suburbanite. I don't give a fuck. Okay. Uh, this is one thing they got right. My dog and cat were terrified. I was terrified uh, because of that. Fuck fireworks. If you like fireworks, fuck you. I don't care anymore. <laughs> fuck you if you like fireworks. I'm done with this shit, okay? This is the same... And, and I just want to mention this. I'm actually not going to get into it, but the only thing I'm going to mention is wait, and you'll say, Fidel told me this. Fidel was right. Wait until next, let's say, let's say next May. What you're going to start seeing on Fox News, on OAN, on all of the reactionary channels, Tommy Lahren, Ben Shapiro, all these complete losers, what you're going to start hearing in conservative media is the liberals are coming for your fireworks, just like your guns. This is going to be a culture war issue like you've never seen before. Fireworks are the new, they're taking our guns, you know, they're taking our freedom and all this. They want to take whatever little morsel of happiness you get on 4th of July, and the liberals want to take that from you. Guess what? Fuck you. I am coming for it. Does that make me a liberal? I don't care. So I'm done with fireworks. I'm done pretending like they're cool and fun. I'm done pretending like they're not destructive to nature, ecosystems, etc. Fuck you if you like fireworks. Come fight me. Ask for my address. DM me. Ask for my, my address. I'll come fucking fight you. I don't care. Done with this shit. And that's my sign off. I mean, here, the fireworks got rained out, like, for the first time in 10 years, I think. Oh, like, so it's, lucky. It's, so, I mean, they still did it. It's just, like, no one could see it. <laughs> kind of, kind of like, even the TV footages were, like, really shitty because it was, like, so cloudy. <laughs> so, and, and don't get me wrong. Stop. If they're controlled fireworks... They're outside of the city, but not like in a dangerous area that's dry. They're controlled fireworks. All for it. Don't care. But people who are setting off fireworks two houses down from where I live, for example, um, see me after class because I have I have a lot to discuss with you. Fidel's um, become the president of his HOA. I, I don't care. If that's what I have to become, so be it. Because I'm my a new... Uh, my new single issue voting <laughs> regime is fireworks. Okay. What's your view on the drones though? Like the drone fireworks, like the laser silent. and drone shows and stuff. I've never seen one. Yeah. I don't know if they're cool mm -hmm. or not. Um, I'm, I'm for it. I suppose if it's, mm -hmm. I don't know, not, not getting in the way of, uh, aviation birds, uh, other winged, um, animals and things like that. Insects. I'm okay with it. Um, it seems to be far less destructive. Do you have an opinion on it? I don't really know. Fidel's pretty happy as long as it doesn't bother Rosa. That's it. Just yeah. don't fuck with my cat, dude. I will kill you if you fuck with my cat. And that includes anybody setting off fireworks. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to say that uh, Rosa. a class argument is that regular people have been priced out of the firework market. They're way too fucking expensive. That's we what my girlfriend was them. saying. She's like, we how do, how are people affording them. fireworks in this environment? They are so fucking expensive. In this it's economy? Yeah, it's Literally. ridiculous. In, in this fucking economy, yeah, people can't even afford groceries. Grubhub, you got to take out a second mortgage on your house to order Grubhub now. And how are people getting fireworks? I really don't understand. Man. I, but the one sad thing I would miss if fireworks are banned, um, all the videos of people fucking it up. 
<laughs> and like lighting the entire like their house on fire their like truck is on fire mm-hmm. the ones where like it's aimed at people yeah those yeah, are I funny seen like a ford super duty 350 with truck nuts just go up in a blaze of glory and like <laughs> suburban fort worth is is a great viewing experience i'm not gonna lie but i mean right. i guess it's only funny because it's like karmic retribution for like torturing dogs yeah yeah well, maybe I'll have to rethink my stance on fireworks. I don't think I'm I need to. I think I'm correct, but um watching people fuck it up spectacularly is kind of funny. That's true. So, in those instances maybe it just okay. becomes like a punishment, you know, instead yeah. of like a celebration, you get punished with fireworks. <laughs> a cosmic punishment. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm going to go write, you know, 5,000 words on that, I think, and uh, we'll wrap up. Um thank you for joining us. It's been the MM podcast. We'll see you next time. Get me drinking that moonshine. Get me higher in the grocery bill. Take my trouble to the high wall. Throw them in the river and get your bill. We've been sniffing that cocaine. Ain't nothing better when the wind cuts cold. Oh, it's a mighty hard living. But a damn good feeling to run these roads.